0: Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. I'm your host, Troy, pronouns he, him, and with me today...
1: Yay, my name is Ed. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. I have elder brain juice, but I don't think there's enough elder brain juice in the world today.
0: Yeah, we, we've got some elder brain juice problems going on, which we're not going to get into because this is not a podcast about those issues. This is a podcast about games and stuff. So today we are talking about the oldest board game that is still played competitively, known as Weiqi in Chinese, Baduk in Korean, and Go in Japanese, and also in English, because a lot of the terminology for the game and the introduction for the game to the English-speaking world came through the Japanese.
1: Or, as I call it, what the hell am I doing? Because that's usually how most of my games go.
0: I mean, that's how most of my chess games go. So, good enough, right?
1: Yeah, but chess can suck it, so that's my opinion. That's a different
0: episode of the podcast. We're going to talk about chess at some point.
1: Not today, though. Normally, I'd say Boo, but I still somewhat enjoy chess, but Go is definitely the superior game.
0: Yes. But before we really get into chess, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about what we've done in, you know, hobby this last week. I'll go first. Mine's quick. I only had one D&D game this last week and no board games because eh, people are busy. Uh, the players managed to, uh, it's the group delving into the jungles and the ruins, and they managed to, having found the lost city, or what they think is the lost city, they delved into a dig site, like an archaeological dig site. They got chased inside by a pair of T-Rexes, and then wandered through a dozen, uh, wandered through a dungeon that was kind of snake-themed and full of traps and puzzles
1: was it still filled with snakes?
0: no um no actual snakes uh there were some like snake guardian monsters that were like they they would ignore the party if you were where if you were carrying some of the snake skin that you found in an earlier section of the temple um uh, there, there were some basic puzzles of like use specific objects to enter a room or exit a room. There was a cool puzzle where there was, like, a big mural thing on the floor, including an eye and a bunch of statues standing around. And, you know, as they examined it, I basically told them, yeah, the statues were once people. Um, and they're trying to figure out, like, how how do we get out? Are we going to fight something? Whatever. And I've got a timer going, and after a certain amount of time, I have I make have them all make saving throws uh, against petrification and turning to stone. And if they fail three of the saves, they are turned into stone. Womp womp. Uh, all you had to do to like defeat the trap was cover up the eye on the floor.
1: And for the next puzzle. Uh, You need to unhinge your jaw and swallow this entire egg.
0: No, the next puzzle... uh, They had gotten some clues about what the puzzles were through a notebook thing they had. Uh, The next one was just a, like... It it was the Indiana Jones thing with the, like, invisible bridge. (laughs)
1: Leap
0: of faith. Yeah, the leap of faith. Um, It wasn't exactly a leap of faith because... There was like the path was windy and they had had a uh, thing in their notebook about following the path of the snake. Mm -hmm. But they just, you know, threw stuff on top of it to reveal it and then did the thing.
1: Does the Pentiate adventurer have to kneel before snakes?
0: No, but they did have to fight a stone golem in the next room. So
1: should have been a snake golem, just snakes all the way down.
0: I mean, it wasn't fully like just snake temple there were no yuan t and no other stuff there was you know i was playing with some of the other background lore but basically they got through that and made their way out and found themselves on top of a hill and could see like the ruins that they came from and also in the distance the actual city that they're trying to get to
1: hooray we found the right one
0: yes it turns out they were digging in the wrong place
1: of course they were.
0: Um, so yeah, that I got to do that, which is going to be cool. They'll have uh, they'll have a lot more to deal with in the next bit because, well, it's a city full of angry lizard folk who do not like outsiders, and the black dragon that they worship as a god.
1: <laughs> Good times. How about you, Ed? What's your weekend hobby? It's been an uneventful week. The summer construction and maintenance season is in full swing, so it's been pretty busy lately. Really, the only thing that I have done is try and work on some 3D printer stuff. I had a fairly good run last week of getting things to work, but it seems like my good luck has come to an end. Uh, The little laser screen that the 3D printer uses to cure the resin is considered a consumable part and they have a a somewhat definitive lifespan. And I think mine is starting to go out. um, Got some weird prints where nothing was being printed, but there were a whole bunch of like weird striations and blotches at the bottom of the resin tank. And then, so when I did my little uh, test run with the diagnostic tools, the, the screen lit up and it was just, it looked kind of like an LCD screen that somebody had taken a hammer to. Um, Yeah, so I rebooted it and after that it worked fine, but it's still giving me some weird shenanigans. So I'm having to make sure that I like reboot my printer after each successful print. And at some point I'm probably gonna have to replace that screen which is seems like a fairly easy prospect and the screens aren't super expensive. They're like 80 bucks. Um, I feel like maybe should have lasted a little bit longer than a little bit short of a year for that amount, but it's a relatively inexpensive commercial graph say civilian consumer grade printer. So depending on how much the actual screen costs to replace, considering that any cubic tends to put their stuff on sale at the drop of a hat, they're like, oh shit, it's Tuesday. Uh we gotta put all of our printers like half off. I may just end up saving that cash that I would use for a new screen and get a 4K printer to get some really badass prints going on yes so that's a possibility um and then i've also been having some issues where the prints are basically just falling off the sprues and i don't know if it's something with the settings and the way that i'm trying to print it that is causing issues or if the way that the files are set up uh, my printer doesn't like those settings so I need to do a little bit of experimenting with the uh, slicer to see if maybe if it pulls off slower or if I just need to work with unsupported STLs and do my own supporting since I've had some fairly good results supporting my own stuff but it's a hassle and I just would rather not do it but the guy who I get most of my STLs from his supports are very delicate which is nice because when the prints work you can just peel just that come right off. yeah you can peel that bad boy right off and you don't get a whole lot of flash or anything that you need to take off later uh, but of all the prints that I've done this week, all of them have failed due to falling off of the sprue So I don't know I might have to ask him directly like you know hey what are your printer settings? or what did you design these to be used with since I've been talking to him directly over Instagram and seems to be fairly helpful. But yeah, trying to do printing, it's not going super well right now. And then just playing Go uh, in between doing stuff at work, which we actually uh, had a fairly close game. I didn't get completely stomped for one of them. So that was an improvement.
0: And yeah, you've been playing with me, so I guess I've also been playing Go. Yeah. We've had some good games. We've had some close games. I've lost to the Go playing computers a few times.
1: I always lose to the computer. I've been playing Silver Star Go on the Switch, which has some fairly decent lessons, uh, albeit very poorly translated. But I've had my... uh, had my face stomped in on every game so far
0: we'll, we'll actually talk a little about the development of go playing ai in this episode
1: so let's really dig into go it's go time it's go time i'm not gonna say sorry for stealing that uh that line from you
0: go is like i said one of the oldest board games still played competitively it's Probably not the oldest board game in existence. There are archaeological remains of other board games that are certainly have been around longer. And there are older board games that are still played. Um, I suspect Moncala is actually older.
1: Yeah, I think Moncala is the oldest I think Senet is the one the oldest one that we have rules for but the rules that we do have are not the originals.
0: Yeah, there's also some Latin uh, capturing game that's sort of similar to Go, it seems like, but we don't have actual rules for it. We just have sort of vague rules, and then people have guessed it, what the rest of it is.
1: Nice job, Romans. Of all the things you wrote down, you couldn't write down the rules to your game.
0: Well, I, it's one of those things where everyone knew what the rules were, so they didn't bother writing them down.
1: That's a terrible way to preserve your culture.
0: Yeah, it's not great. The earliest written reference to Go is found in a Chinese historical annal recording an event from around 548 BCE. Meaning Go is at least 2,500 years old. Woo! Uh, pottery Go boards have been found dating back more than 2,000 years. Early versions of the game were played on a 17x17 17 17 board, and it switched to the modern 19x19 19 19 board sometime around the 6th century common era. Uh, around the 7th century, 700s, uh, the game made its way to Japan, where it became a favorite pastime of the aristocrats there. Uh, By this point, it was widespread in China, Korea, and Japan, and that's those countries have basically been the home of Go. Uh, In Japan, during the Edo period, which is 1600 to 1800-ish, the government established official schools and sanctioned matches that were held at castles belonging to the shogun. And this was one of the places where it got formalized and standardized a lot, and kind of where western knowledge of the game starts to come from
1: so i guess uh military dictatorship bad but support for board games good
0: yes i i don't even know um so when the edo period ended japan went into the what's called the meiji restoration And one of the things they did was bring in Western advisors and engineers and teachers to try and uh, basically teach them how to industrialize a country rapidly. Because they were a, like, feudal agrarian society and looking around and seeing people with steamships and being like, oh shit, if we don't do something, we're going to get colonized. Teach us
1: how to be German.
0: Yes. So they got some Germans in. And the German engineers who had been hired to help modernize Japan took Go back to Germany in the late 1800s.
1: I was just making a joke. I didn't know that actually happened.
0: That actually happened. Uh, Some of the first books about Go were written by German engineers who had visited the country to, like, build railways and assist with the designs of factories and stuff. Um... It was brought to the United States by Japanese immigration in, uh, around the same time frame, but also, you know, in through the 1900s. And then, you know, uh, there were some early 1900s, like, Go societies started to form. People were writing some books about it. And then World War Two happened. And then after World War Two, it started to get a lot more popular in, like, the 50s and so on. Partially because, you know, it was much easier to get to and from places now that you had planes and television and stuff. And also because Japan was uh, more closely aligned with the United States after World War II for reasons that it would take a much longer podcast to get into. And then since the 90s, uh, Go has been popular with computers. In part because it's a computational game, so computer scientists love it and mathematicians are... Real fond of it. And also, in part, because Go is a much tougher game for computers than chess is.
1: That it is. Uh,
0: uh, the sheer number of potential moves makes it hard for a computer to just brute force the problem like it can in chess, where it can sort of figure out what all the potential moves on the board are and then pick whatever the next best one is.
1: Yeah, cuz aren't there aren't there more possible variations of a go game than there are like atoms in the universe? Or is that just a myth?
0: Yeah. No, that's not a myth. The number of legal we'll talk a little bit later about why this is true. Um once we cover the rules and some stuff, but Essentially, the number of legal board states in Go is somewhere in the order of 2.1 times 10 to the 170. Which is more than the number of atoms in the observable universe by a substantial margin.
1: <laughs> Get wrecked, universe.
0: Number of atoms in the universe is only like something times 10 to the 80th. It, it's not in the same ballpark of numbers it's bizarre and also kind of scary for go um so before like i said it was a hard problem for computers and so before 2006-ish most go programs could be defeated by strong amateur players or like youth players like good youth players um go ais were not very good uh, between 2006 and about 2016, there was some Evolution in Go thing, in Go AI, probably worth its own episode, just talking about Go and AI, because um, there's a whole lot of cool stuff.
1: The AI revolution!
0: In this case, what was going on was they basically figured out that you can't just brute force it, you have to essentially sort of teach the computer to play Go. And teach the computer to recognize what's going on on the board and, like, respond more like a human would, but faster.
1: And that's how you get Skynet.
0: Well, that's how you get AlphaGo. Because in in 2015-2016, the Google-funded program AlphaGo started using, like, neural net deep learning stuff to, uh revolutionized go and in 2016 alpha go beat the south korean player lee sedol four to one lee sedol is a top tier professional go player he's one of the like best players in the world and that's not a not in dispute everyone recognizes him as being one of the best players in the world and he lost four out of five games to the computer that's harsh. In a tournament setting. Which then caused the South Korean like Go Association to award the computer an honorary like World Championship
1: level uh, in Go. It's just going to go to that computer's head.
0: Well, the next year, the computer beat some of the top Chinese players and Japanese players and is... The current version of the AlphaGo program is considered to be the world's best Go player. Damn it! <laughs> it it is essentially unbeatable at this point.
1: That 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 almost feels kind of like solving the game in a weird way. That's the thing. It's not solved,
0: and it's not solved in a very interesting way because the go playing computers play in a different manner to humans they play moves that humans don't think of and they play moves that humans had like dismissed as not being very good but once you start seeing how the computers play you realize that oh you actually can do that and it you can actually make that work
1: yeah because i've seen i've seen a lot of games on like the er, moves on the wikis that say, like, AI preferred, or, you know, was created by the AI.
0: Yes, so people have been studying how the various computers play in order to improve their own games. Uh, Go as it is right now is actually substantially different in, like, professional play than it was ten years ago. Due to the influence of AI-created moves. Um... An, uh, a a high level Go player today would almost certainly defeat a equally ranked player from ten years ago. The the influence that the artificial intelligence has had on the game is sizable, and really kind of cool because that didn't happen in chess.
1: I've got no chess jokes for you that that time.
0: Ah uh, yes, you you were in check.
1: Oh, beat me to it.
0: So, the rules of the game. We've talked about where it came from. We've talked about how artificial intelligence has a hard time with it. But the rules of the game are really simple. You start with a 19x19 grid. Uh, You can also play on smaller sizes. Either 13x13 or 9x9 are the most common for that. Uh... Players take turns placing stones on the intersection points of the board. One player is black, one player is white. Black plays first, and there are really only two rules of play. The first one is the rule of liberty, and it states that every stone remaining on the board must have at least one open point, a liberty, uh, directly orthogonally adjacent, up, down, left, or right or must be part of a connected group of stones that the connected group has at least one liberty next to it. If a stone loses their last liberty, that is, if a stone is completely surrounded by enemy stones, it is removed from the board. It is captured.
1: Give me liberty or give me death.
0: That's the primary thing. The second thing is that stones on the board must never repeat a previous position of stones this essentially there you can get into a situation where you would kind of like go back and forth capturing a single stone over and over again just i do this you play this play the move that undoes that which would cause the game to get into an infinite loop so that move is forbidden And that's it. Those are the entire rules of play. Um, All the other rules in the game, and there are a few, have to do with scoring. uh, Determining how many points a thing is worth.
1: For some reason, scoring is always the thing that trips me up. I don't know why I still don't get it at this point, but oh well.
0: Scoring's tricky because the board is large and you have to, like, calculate use you score how much empty spaces you control and you control an empty space by essentially the other player not being able to play there uh the game ends when both players pass or when one player concedes historically conceding has been the way that a lot of games end uh high level players will reach a point where they see that they have lost and there's no way for them to make any more points or to win, so they concede. Um, Go Etiquette has been very strong, uh, as you might imagine, for a game that was played by aristocrats and castles. So it was seen that, you know, conceding rather than forcing people to continue playing the game was kind of a good move.
1: Gotta save face.
0: Yes, Saving face and go face. Um, And like I said, despite their simple rules, go is a game with incredibly deep strategy and decision space. The size of the board, the whole 19 by 19 is a lot of potential positions. And the fact that pieces are played to any point on the board that, you know, they could legally that isn't already occupied means that, the the like where you can place is a huge question and that's what makes it so hard for computers to
1: uh brute force it. Get some of that analysis paralysis.
0: Yes. Uh there's also um one of the sort of scoring rules is what's called Komi. And I actually really like Komi. Black moves first, and the game ha and people have noticed that there is a first-mover advantage to the game. There is an advantage in being the first person to play a piece on the board. So, white starts the game with five and a half points. Um, as that's about what it is for... Like That's about how much even players will win by if you're playing black. The reason it's five and a half points is so that you don't get ties.
1: Boo.
0: So you can win or lose by half a point. But if it was 6 points you could tie. And in competitive play there are tournaments hosted by the US Go Association, the Japanese Go Association, Go Association Um, There's international tournaments played between primarily, like, China, South Korea, and Japan. Um, And there are rankings. There's a whole system of rankings. Amateur players have a Q ranking, which ranges from about 30 to 1. Uh, Higher is better. Right now, I am around 15Q-ish. It's not... I haven't played in official stuff, but that's based on my online games. Ed, I believe you are
1: I'm at probably whatever is just above somebody who has never played before.
0: 25.
1: Yep, that sounds about right.
0: I, I believe you're around 25Q. You have to play some more ranked games to actually figure that out, but... but yeah, I'm that, scared
1: to go in, into the rankings. I'm a noob.
0: I mean, you can play a ranked game against me. It'll start to sort that out a little. Um, and then there are Don rankings, which go from one to nine with the higher one being better. And you can really only get a Don ranking by being a member of one of the professional Go associations. Don is a rank scale for professionals. Um, there are like uh, amateur Don rankings, which are for people who are not professional Go players and who do not attend professional tournaments. Um, but it's generally agreed that Amateur Dawn rankings will lose to even the lowest professional player. Because, you know, professional players spend all their time playing Go. Yep. Um, so yeah. Equipment. Like I said, Go is played on a 19 by 19 board. Traditionally, the boards have been made of wood oftentimes very nice wood. Um, And it is played with black and white stones. Traditionally, the uh, white stones are made of clamshell and the black stones are made of... What, onyx? Slate.
1: They're made of slate.
0: Slate, yes. Uh, And... um,
1: They're damn expensive.
0: Yes, the traditional ones are very expensive. My personal go-set is made of super cheap wood and has plastic stones.
1: Mine's it's fine. also bamboo and plastic. I got it from a shop in San Francisco, Chinatown.
0: Yeah, mine is, I think, bamboo. Eh, could be something else. It's got some grain to it. Um, Not, like, nice-looking wood grain, but it does have wood grain.
1: It's got just a little bit of maize in there, some rice thrown in for good measure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, of Hooray course, it's got, of course, it's got rice in there. It's Japanese. Yep. You you don't need fancy equipment to play it. Just a a straight cheap board that you can probably get for like fifty bucks or less. But the really nice ones do get incredibly expensive. We're talking like ten thousand dollars or more.
1: My wife said no to one of those. However, I am planning on getting myself a somewhat fancy board once I graduate from school. And by fancy, I mean like a hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, I would like a fancier board, but I'd also want to use it more. I don't play a lot of in-person games.
1: It'll be a prestige item that sits on my nerd shelf here.
0: However, you don't need to play in-person games because, like I said... Computer science nerds love Go and have, you know, and so they have created ways to play it online. There are a whole bunch of different Go servers and places that you can play online, either, you know, against people in Asia, against people all over the world. I like OGS, uh, which is online go.com. Uh, it's very english friendly uh has a lot of lower ranked players and some good resources for learning about the game and if you want to come beat me up and go or if you want to try playing me and go message the message us on twitter and i'll you know lose or win i don't know yeah, if if you're good, if you're not that great, maybe I'll win. That'd be cool. Um yeah, and it's uh so you can play it online. You don't even need a board. It's free. You just sign up. It's better than chess.com. Those guys are annoying.
1: I do like that it's free. I am considering subscribing though for some of their extra goodies, but also just because it's a good platform and I want to throw dollars at them.
0: Yes, that it is quite good for that. So, Ed, why do we like Go? Why do we think Go is better than chess? Why are we so hyped about Go?
1: Uh, because the depth of the game would make a mockery of the Marianas Trench.
0: Yes. So, I mentioned how simple the rules are, and we went over what the rules of the game are, but the actual, like, tactical strategy and... Like, knowledge of the game is immense. It's been played for more than 2,000 years, and for a lot of that time, people have been writing stuff down about Go and how they think it should be played, and the philosophies on playing, and coming up with moves and ideas to play it. Meaning that there is a lot to learn about Go, and learning just a little bit can make you substantially better at the game, meaning. That if you want to play it and if you study it a little bit, you can get good at it. And I mean, of
1: course Yeah, you're somebody who actually puts time and research into the game and uh you <laughs> wipe the floor with me just about every chance.
0: I mean And you I don't have... even
1: you don't even do do like a huge amount, but just enough that you know far more about what you're doing than I am.
0: Yeah, I just reading, getting a book on it or looking stuff up online, watching videos and stuff, you can learn enough about it to be almost out of... Like, bizarrely good at it to people who have never played before or who have just picked it up.
1: What is this witchcraft?
0: Um That being said, I am really terrible at it compared to anyone who's, like... Ten levels above me they would play moves that I don't even see and just eradicate me instantly I know I've run into them before um so go has a lot of levels to it and there's a whole lot of strategy and seeing moves and you know it, it's really cool and really fun um and I and think it just more... has
1: kind of a chill vibe to it I think as well compared to like chess yeah, I don't really uh, quite know how to describe it but it it's a, it's got good vibes yeah and I, I'm not going to expound on that because I don't know how
0: <laughs> I would say one of the things that I like about it more than chess is the um, openness of the board um, because in chess you have a set starting position all your pieces are lined up on either side. In Go, you start with a blank board, and then you and your opponent basically build something.
1: You have a literal universe's worth of options of what you could do.
0: Yes. Uh, the other thing is sort of how... It, it's part of how I think of it. Go is theoretically a war game. It is about two armies battling, and you capture your enemies, and whoever holds territory at the end of it wins. Chess is also theoretically a war game, because, you know, your two armies fight out and capture each other, and whoever loses their king is beheaded, and, you know, your kingdom falls. But chess is a battle. A single battle, where, you know, you have your pieces, and each of them is good at something, and... They just go in and fight. It is entirely tactical. Go is strategic. Go has many battles and you fight over the entirety of the nation or the countries at war. And it's only when you have, like, exhausted every opportunity and sent all your armies and, like, you win by having territory.
1: Go is the battle for north africa of abstract strategy games
0: theoretically you could expand a go board any number of times and you'd probably only have to do it like twice to get beyond battle for north africa levels of complexity get up to like a 32 by 32 board and you could have that
1: And I, and I thought some of the gigantic boards from Advanced Squad Leader were nuts.
0: Yeah, you haven't seen anything
1: yet. I have one that literally does not fit on a 6x4 table. It needs an even larger table.
0: Mmm, yeah. So I, I compare that to like a 191x191 go board and just think about the level of potential play there.
1: Makes my brain hurt, that's what it does. As well it should. The game in general makes my brain hurt, but it's probably a good thing because it means my brain is not atrophying.
0: Yes, Uh, studies have shown that people who play board games consistently have lower mental degradation in later years. It's true for both chess and Go. Um, And I suppose other board games, but I don't don't think the research looked at, like, do people who play Catan have... The same rates of mental decay as not, as people who don't play Catan.
1: I will say I still want a, a Go set that instead of having little black and white stones, you have little black and white carved samurai. I'm not going to let that one go.
0: The problem with that is a Go board or a Go set consists of 180 white stones and 181 black stones. And uh, do you want to carve 361 little samurai?
1: I mean, I got to do something when I eventually retire.
0: (laughs) Okay, so do you want to 3D print that many samurai and then spray paint half of them?
1: I mean, honestly, if I had a big enough printer, I probably could do that and have it not be a super tedious process. At one point, I was planning on building an entire legion's worth of... Uh, Roman armies in six millimeters, so I've had worse ideas.
0: Alright, in that case, I'm going to leave it to you. You can go ahead and do that. Actually, you don't have to print off nearly as many if you use a 9x9 nine nine GoBoyd size.
1: True. If I figure out what's what the deal with my printer is, it's a distinct possibility. And then I'm going to go onto the uh, Baduk subreddit and just absolutely have people lose their minds
0: yeah i mean they'll lose their minds about anything but uh yeah mostly Go stuff um so where should you go if you want to learn more about go well there are a number of places where people will teach you you can look them up uh your city probably has one Portland, Oregon has a Go club, Go society. Seattle, Washington does. Beyond that, uh, there are a bunch of really good YouTube channels. I personally enjoy Nick Sabiki who is a pretty high-level Go player, um, based out of Seattle, and he does puts he has like 500 plus lectures on Go, um, and he keeps adding more, so you can watch some of his stuff. Uh, there's also an in, a channel called Incente, and I believe they have some really good content for beginners. If you're just wanting to like learn what the hell is Go, what do all these terms mean? How do I play stone? Um, and you know, books. Like I mentioned, Go has been talked about and written about pretty heavily, so you can find a bunch of books at uh, used bookstores or on Amazon or wherever you buy books that will lead you through the basics of how to play go and how to recognize certain patterns and perform certain moves that, uh, can be kind of important.
1: Yeah. Even, uh, our online go, uh, website, they have a whole bunch of like free PDF resources that you can use. And I found some of those to be, more helpful than a lot of the books that I found, at least the books on Kindle, because that's where I read all my books, because I'm weird. But the uh, online stuff that they have is pretty good.
0: Uh, You can also check out your local game store and see if they sell Go boards, because if they do, someone at that store probably knows how to play Go and probably wants to play Go with you.
1: If you live in our neighborhood, it's probably one of us.
0: I don't know. I don't... I don't know if our local game store sells Go boards.
1: I bet they do. They're big enough.
0: I mean... I, I'm willing I know to they bet they at least have boards. one. I just haven't looked in there to see if they had Go boards.
1: A mystery for another day.
0: Yes, we'll find out. So, I think that's it for Go. Um... Somebody needs to make a move in the game that we're playing.
1: So this is, you could say this is a stop for go.
0: I'm just going to leave this silence in the podcast.
1: Wow, not even any crickets.
0: But we have a segment on this podcast called Board. Game Corner. And Ed, you're going to tell us about a board game today.
1: I'm going to dominate these corners like I'm trying to do in Go. Woo! So if you uh, listen to our podcast about the history of Soviet board games, you know that I'm a fan. I, I guess I should say quote fan of most things Soviet and Russian Revolution related. They were both bloody hideous uh travesties but there is a game called cogs and commissars that was published by atlas games in 2018 uh they originally published it through kickstarter and now it's out for general release so you can find it uh i think pretty much any significant game store should probably have it i've seen it at a couple of ours (laughs) but the idea is that you are playing as a uh Robotic society that is undergoing a revolution, and you are trying to uh, overthrow the capitalist overlords and institute glorious rule of the robot proletari- proletariat. Um, yep, the roletariat. I really, really, really like the art style. Um, as I said earlier, I'm a massive fan of the early, late Russian, early Soviet printmaking style. And they did a really good job of replicating that art style and that feel uh, for these cards. So the idea is you have a deck of cards and you have a faction leader uh, that are all some really awesome puns uh, related to Russia and communism. You've got Otto Marx, Com Putin, artificial Stalin intelligence, Gorbachev, Simu Lenin. So those are all choice puns. Um, and there's a couple of, couple of different ways you can play the game. Uh, you can play it as a draft where you uh, draft cards. They have constructed decks where each faction leader has their own specific set of cards. Um, and then there's a uh, random one where you can shuffle the cards all together and randomly uh, deal the cards out. And depending on how you do that, the game's going to be a little bit different. Uh, But the idea is every turn you flip over two cards off the top of your deck and they'll have a little icon that shows uh, how many points you gain. And in this game, the points are called citizens and you need 15 citizens in play uh, with your revolution card, which when you meet certain requirements, you play the revolution and then, you know, you're gloriously victorious and you win the game. If you have 20 citizens in play, uh, your revolution can't be countered because there are propaganda and blitz cards that your opponents can play that are going to screw with your plans. So you'll take your turn. You'll gather either proletariats, which are worth one point for some reason, bourgeoisie, which are worth two points, which is absolute heresy, and then commissars, which are worth three. Um, Yeah, that works. Um, And then after you've gained your points you can discard and draw cards in your hand to uh, get some better propaganda. You play your propagandas and then you can play an action card and you just keep going around the table until somebody uh, gets enough citizens that they can successfully have their revolution. Uh, It's pretty good from the way that we, from when we played it, there was a lot of back and forth and the, the counter revolutions and Being able to screw with your opponent is a lot of fun Uh, for a lot of card games. I'm not a huge fan of like interrupting actions in magic. That's a thing I particularly am not a huge fan of because I've been in games where my opponents literally counter every single thing that I do. Uh, But in this one, it works pretty well because that's really one of the only few actions you're gathering points and then trying to stop your opponents from gathering points. So yeah
0: cogs and
1: chromosomes yep it's fun uh it's got a very good theme if somebody if you're somebody who uh puts a lot of emphasis on theme it's got a nice art style which i feel like we should do art and board games its own separate podcast but yeah go try it it's relatively inexpensive
0: So, uh, that's a podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Rate, subscribe, like, do all the things. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Null Country. If you want to play a game of Go with us, message us there. And we'll tell you how to get in touch to play a game of Go and either defeat us or lose to us, depending on, um, how good you are. If you want to follow us on Instagram, again, it's at, it's just Null Country. Ed, you got things to plug?
1: Yeah, you can watch me uh, being weird on our on our uh, Twitter. If it's a weird thing that shows up, it was probably me who posted it. Uh, you can also follow me at Animadness. Watch me go back and forth between being frothingly angry and posting about Marvel comics as I continue my journey into Crisis Protocol. Uh, I thought I had a, a Null Country joke item in mind for this week, but apparently I just forgot it. So go spend your money on something real. Uh, You can support True Colors United to uh, support uh, LGBTQIA plus folks and making sure that they have safe homes to go to. Uh, Donate to some reproductive justice funds. I might have a more specific list next week because that whole thing is just fucked. And support the Ukrainians. Anything else I say may get us banned.
0: Uh, don't perform actionable threats.
1: Yeah, fun fact: this podcast was actually like two hours long, but once we cut down, cut out all the actionable threats, uh, we're down to a good solid hour. Go Knowles. Go wow.
0: Knowles.